This is the Creative Agency Podcast, where we explore the strategies, aspirations, methods, and mistakes behind growing and maintaining a successful creative agency. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Agency Podcast. My name is Chris Bolton. I do have a cold. In spite of this, I am still determined to present you with another inspiring episode jam-packed with agency goodness. The interview you are about to hear is amazing. It came at an incredibly convenient time for our agency because we are in the middle of replacing our content strategist who left recently, and it was a really great time to deep dive into all the facets and responsibilities of this role in an agency. Uh, Rob Mills is a content strategist who worked as head of content at an agency for many years and now works at Gather Content. He's a writer, blogger, and all-around very smart guy. I'm a total content strategy nerd, so I could go on and on about this interview, but instead I will let you listen for yourself. As I said, Rob works for Gather Content, who also just happens to be our sponsor. As if you didn't already know, Gather Content is a software tool that allows you to easily collaborate with clients in the content gathering and writing phases of a website project. It's as easy or easier to use than Google Docs, and it comes with many more features. Um, One of the features of Gather Content that I love is that it lets you set pages to a status like first draft or needs review by client or needs editing by agency or finalized. This makes it really easy for many people to be working on the project at the same time. Um, Gather Content also allows you to export content directly to a CMS like WordPress, Drupal, Sitecore, and many more. Um, You can get a free 30-day trial if you go to gathercontent.com forward slash C-A-P. If you like the show, I'd love to hear about it in a positive review on iTunes or comment on the website, creativeagencypodcast.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at creativeagncy. And now let's get to the interview. Hello out there. I have Rob Mills, content strategist at Gather Content with us today. Welcome to the show, Rob. Hello there. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, Where are you calling in from? Uh, I'm calling in from Cardiff in Wales. So um, we're a remote team at Gather Content uh, and uh, I'm the only one working out of Wales. So I'm currently from home. Oh, awesome. So we're going to talk about content strategy and content process for website projects. Um, But first, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background. Um, How did you become a content strategist? Like many others I know, I sort of stumbled into it in a bit of a sideways direction from what I was doing, really. Um, My degree is in journalism. um, And since then, I'd kind of written for some industry blogs and I'd had a book published. So uh, I I guess I've always classed myself as a writer or as as a copywriter. Um, I also did a stint in audience research for the BBC uh, here in Wales as well, and some data analysis for my local council. Um, And all of those things have now become part of my job as a content strategist, which is interesting. Um, But I also spent seven years working as a studio and project manager agency side, um, and that's what I was doing before I actually took the leap to gather content two years ago. Um, And I guess all of that kind of left me with writing research and project management skills, and experience really, which is, um, they've all set me up well for the content strategy role that I'm doing now. I, I never thought there'd be a job where 
all of those kind of what I consider to be um, random jobs I had over the years would sort of come together and, and yet they have but I suppose the one thread through those is content so you know whether it's my degree or the student manager stuff the research um, job at the BBC content's always been the kind of the one thing that's um, you know been consistent throughout all of those roles I suppose. It's, it's really interesting, you know, um, we, we have a content strategist here at Murmur Creative. Um, she's leaving and, and we just put out the job hire for another content strategist. And someone emailed me and, and was just like, you know, I'm not qualified for this position now. But it sounds like a really great job. What, do I, what sort of education and things do I need to do to become a content strategist? Mm-hmm. And that just got me thinking like, oh, that's really interesting because content strategists do kind of come from varied backgrounds. Definitely. There's, you know, project managers, marketing people. Um, there's some coming from UX and the design side. Um, I, I know a lot of coming from a writing background and sort of journalism degrees and so on. But I guess that's what makes it, for me, that's what makes it an interesting um, role because it's it's not any one thing. It can be, you know, um, it can be what you want it to be. And uh, I'm sure if you asked, you know, a dozen content strategists their own journeys into it, there would be some overlap, I'm sure. But I'm sure, you know, there would also be a lot of... Uh, a lot of different paths that led everybody to that point. It's, it's interesting. You know, a lot of sort of job descriptions, I feel like in modern days are sort of those cobbled together um, positions because, you know, the colleges don't even have time to put together programs before it's a needed um, position. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you worked as head of a content agency. What, what was that like? Yeah, so it was actually, it was a, a design and branding agency. And then um, I was a studio and project manager there. And then um, and then became the um, head of content as well as doing that role as the sort of the um, account management and project management side. So it was challenging to say the least um, because it was so busy. But in terms of the, the head of content role, uh, and just to you know, clarify that I wasn't managing a team of content people. I was working with the in-house team of designers and developers and then um, whoever was client side as well. Um, working with them on content as needed but the requirements were varied from writing content for clients uh, editing content that they've already written we did use gather content to manage the process uh, for a certain period as well writing content style guides and voice and tone guidelines um, and just generally making sure that content was considered um, at the right points in the project as well Um, so it was uh, it was challenging because you know it involved a lot of trying to get people um, trying to get buy-in, I suppose, from clients to understand the the importance of you know a content-first um, way of thinking. Um, like I say, as well as running, doing invoicing and schedule schedules and time tracking and everything else. So yeah, it was challenging but fun. Were you also responsible for sort of like getting all the content into the websites and stuff like that? Or were you mainly sort of just managing the acquisition and the composition? Yeah, sometimes. So the migration is always an interesting part of the project, I think. Sometimes it was, yeah, it was me who was you know, putting that content in. Sometimes it was the client. Um, sometimes it was myself and the client. And then sometimes it was the, the developers. So it really depended on, I guess, resource really. And, you know, what everyone else had on at the same time. Uh, sometimes it was down to budgets and so on. Um, but yeah, there was definitely many times when I was copying and pasting into a CMS. Uh, what, what do you like most about content strategy? Uh, I think going back to kind of what I was saying earlier when we were talking about how I got into it and just the, how varied it is. You know, if you, you know, if you ask me what a typical day is or if you ask me, you know, at the same point three days in a row what I was doing, I'd, uh, you'd likely get 
very different responses. Um, you know, I kind of like how it crosses different disciplines as well. You know, so it can encompass UX and taxonomy, writing, research, data analysis, measurement, marketing, SEO, analytics. You know, uh, project management to some degree as well. So I think because it's so many things. Um, you really have to just muck in as required, certainly in smaller mm -hmm. teams as well. And so it's a role that, you know, gather content, it's a role that allows me to work across the company. Um, so that's with, you know, we're a team of 18, so we don't have you know, dozens and dozens of departments, but we've got marketing, customer success and product. And my role definitely um, allows me to work with people from each of those teams on a regular basis as well. What you said about sort of doing so many different things, it's interesting because you are kind of part project manager, part copywriter, it's, it's very different than, and I'm not even exactly sure why, but it's very different than say a web designer's role, which is very sort of specific. Our project managers um, sometimes struggle because with the designer, it's like, okay, work on this one thing for three days. But with a content strategist, it's like, you've got 50 different things that you got to work on all at the same time. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it, quite often when you read things about content strategy, it's, uh, you know, people say it's a role where you have to wear many hats. And I think it's, uh, I mean, there are obviously lots of jobs out there like that, but it's out of all the jobs I've done, it's definitely the one where that statement is, um, is most true. You know, at the moment I'm uh, creating a, a content style guide for our team. I'm also working with product and customer success and marketing on journey mapping. Um, I, I've recently defined all of our vocabulary, um, which will obviously be going into the style guide for how we talk about the product to make sure that's consistent. Um, then I'm proofing uh, marketing emails or copy for an ad and editing the guest content on our blog. So, it, I mean, it's all, it's that whole spectrum really. But that definitely is what makes it interesting and it allows people to make the role their own as well. Um, and I think that's a really a great opportunity and a privilege to be doing a job where you can kind of mold mm -hmm. it. Into yeah, I love your content you on the blog, be, really. by the way. You, you offer some really great articles. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about content strategy. Do you think, do you think that every website needs a content strategist? Oh, see, I would love to say yes, 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 yes. But I just, I'm not sure that that's really... Um, Having worked at an agency with clients, um, I can understand the reasons why that's not always feasible. So I think my take on it is that I think at the very least there needs to be someone who's focused on the content. So um, they may not, you know, th their job title may not be content strategist, for example. They may not identify themselves as a content strategist, but there definitely needs to be someone there who... Um, you know, for the whole project uh, lifespan is really focused uh, on the content in terms of what's needed, why, who it's for, where it's coming from, how will it be governed. And, you know, and I think sometimes that person comes from the agency. I think I was that person at the agencies that I worked at previously. Um, and sometimes it comes from the client side, or maybe it starts with the agency and then post-launch it gets handed over to the client, for example. But someone asking the right questions about the content is definitely essential. Uh, and I think that's the only way you can really give yourself half a chance to to get content that's purposeful, relevant, and, and useful, really. So I, I would love to say, yes, there has to be a content strategist, but trying to kind of consider all scenarios, at the very least, just someone who is focused on the content. Right. Yeah. Before we had a dedicated content strategist, um, it was just our project manager who was working on the website projects that just by default was sort of wrangling all the content in. And it quickly became one of the most difficult parts of our website projects and still is like that's when you need the most from the client and you need the, you know, you need feedback, you need 
them to make decisions. It's a lot of times where our projects get stuck. Yeah, I mean, content's hard, right? So even you know, even if you've you've got years of experience solely focused on content, it's still challenging. There's still lots of obstacles to overcome, and there's lots of processes to navigate. So. You know, imagine if your main role, I suppose, isn't as the content person, if you are a project manager or a marketing person or a UX person, but suddenly the content has landed on your to-do list. You know, it's hard. It's hard to get content from people. It's hard to get, well, not just getting content from people, but getting content from people that's written in the way that you need it, you know, that's on brand, in the right voice and tone, you know, um, meets a user goal in a business need. There's all these things that the content needs to do. Um, and if that's not, you know, if you're just kind of, if that's shoehorned into everything else you're trying to do as well, then yeah, it's so it's so challenging. So that's why um, where possible having that one person who can just take it from you know beginning to end. Um, yeah, it's still going to be challenging, but hopefully it'll be uh, a bit smoother than other people just trying to kind of um, get it done. I suppose. What are some of the sort of common issues that you encounter in content strategy on a website project? I think a kind of lack of um, accountability, you know, uh, it's not my job, that comes up a lot, uh, as in it's not my job to write the content, it's not my job to review or approve it, because a lot of the subject matter experts or stakeholders, um, you know, they, they're they subject matter experts for a reason, you know, they have a role within the organization, so, um, you know, they may not see why writing or reviewing content um, is their responsibility, um, so that comes up a lot. Just a, a sort of a lack of resource to allow for content strategy, whether that's people, money, time, all of the above, um, unfortunately, in a lot of cases as well. And that kind of lack of, um, well, not lack of, but the difficulty of getting buy-in as well, you know, trying to actually sell content strategy in can be challenging. But then there's also some challenges, even if you, you know, if you're one of the lucky ones where you do have a content strategy, um, even then it's still not plain sailing once you've launched a website for example there's challenges then around um who's responsible post-launch there's always so much focus on just getting the project getting the website live and getting the project done that often that kind of governance um, and sustainability of content after the site has gone live uh, gets neglected um so that's another challenge just trying to consider the entire life cycle of the content i think yeah there are a few of the main ones i mean there are lots, lots and lots, right. but they're definitely right. some, of the, of some of the common ones. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure listeners would have um, their own list of other common ones as well. In, in your article, uh, Five Content Strategy Considerations for Website Projects, you talk about the questions that need to be asked at the beginning of a website project. Can you go over a few of those for us? Yeah. Um, do you know how much content you have on your current site? Um, do we or do you know what quality the content is? Uh, do we have a star guide? content style guide? Do we know who's going to write or rewrite the content for the new site? Um, do we or do you know who the subject matter expert um, and the owners are for the current content? I suppose this links to that, what we were talking about, even if you've not got a content strategist in official terms, um, just having that content person um, or someone thinking about the content uh, at each stage of the project is necessary and I think that's where questions like this become important and just having someone there who's asking these questions because if you don't then you'll get caught out you know you'll be ready for the content and it's not there or you know and again you know a dozen other scenarios that could could uh, could manifest themselves so it's just about asking the right questions at the right time to the right people. You also talk about assembling a content team what does a content team consist of? 
Ooh, this, now, this allows me to give the, uh, the content strategist's favorite answer to most questions, which is, it depends. Um, <laughs> and it really does depend. <laughs> because I think it depends because there are so many job titles uh, and team structures. You know, so many job titles. You know, even just thinking about content itself, there's content strategists, content writers, content managers, content developers, content designers. Uh, you know, there's just so many. And not to get bogged down in semantics, but um, I think there are probably some typical roles within a content team Mm -hmm. Um, and they could include uh, a copywriter, an editor, um, subject matter experts, reviewers and um, people who approve the content, content strategists of course, content designers which I think I mentioned, um, a UX person and I say person because again you know UX could be um, could be followed by lots of different uh, words uh, these days, a user researcher and even um, someone solely responsible for the sort of migration in a CMS site, or like a developer, a CMS editor. Mm-hmm. But I think it can go quite far beyond that as well. Um, and you know, a content team could consist of illustrators, project managers, marketing folk, designers, developers. But again, some of those roles I've just listed there, that might they may be covered by more than one person, um, or right. they may be covered by uh, the same person. It, it, there's so many different scenarios. Um, so it's, uh, I don't know if there is a typical team as such, but there's mm-hmm. definitely um, some key roles, certainly. And I imagine it becomes more valuable to have a larger team on larger projects with more pages and more content. Is there, you know, if you were, if an agency was to ask you, you know, when should we hire a content strategist? I'm, I'm sure the answer is it depends, but <laughs> um, I wonder if there's a point at which you're just like, okay, we need someone to do this full-time because some people might decide oh we just need another project manager but like another agency might say oh we need someone dedicated to content yeah definitely and um i mean i think the earlier you can if you've already identified a need for a content person or content strategist then then you need to hire them now um Mm -hmm. i think and certainly the sooner you can get them on board the better just in terms of again making sure there's someone there to ask the right questions at the right time. It's, it's so, you know, pro- project snowboarding, it, it doesn't take much before you're sort of three sprints in, sorry, or a couple of weeks in and, you know, um, nobody's even thought about the content. And then by the time you do bring someone in, what do you do? Do you, you put the project on hold until they've managed to catch up or do you still, you know, keep the sprints going, the design sprints, for example? It, it's just the sooner you can get that person on board, then the better. Um, yeah. But saying that, bringing someone in later is still better than not bringing someone in at all. I, I imagine that you're a pretty big proponent of uh, the content-first approach to design. Could you explain a little bit what that is? Yeah, um, I, I am indeed. <laughs> uh, and yes, I can. But I think it's um, it's kind of worth saying what content-first design isn't. Um, because I think there's some can often be some ambiguity around that kind of phrase, and it's content first isn't about getting all approved content upfront before anything else is done, um, such as the design. I mean, imagine that that would be amazing. Um, it's uh, it's just about putting content at the forefront of people's minds at the right time and early enough in the project so that you don't reach some of the obstacles that we've mentioned and you don't kind of get your project derailed because you you know your design's done and you've got no content you know there's there were a few common scenarios when I worked um, agency side when content wasn't really considered enough and it's you know um, you would your design would be signed off but then 
it had to be changed to shoot to, to fit the content or you have to edit the content and shoehorn it into the design or you just everything's just left in limbo because you're just waiting on content you know which isn't obviously good for billing and the, and the bottom line and so on so it's just about um, content first it's just about asking questions at the you know early on um, in the project to make sure the content is considered um, so hopefully avoid some of those issues that I just uh, raised then um, and it just helps to, uh, by having that content first mindset and process, it helps to make informed design decisions and also influence things like what CMS you're going to use. So it's really just, you know, making sure everybody is considering the content at the point of the project that is relevant to them with that one person again, at least that one person kind of managing it and overseeing it all. Yeah, we, we practice uh, content first at Murmur Creative. It you know, it's never perfect. <laughs> we'll, we'll get most of the content, but usually getting all of the content before we get into design is, is not realistic. But, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, we tell our clients when we first meet with them, like we are content first, we want to get all that content up because your design will be better in the end. Yeah, I guess, I guess content first really is it's the process of not treating content as an afterthought. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I say, how, how amazing would it be if you had all your content um, before you did anything else? But you know, it's it's just not it's not realistic. So you yeah. know, the, the, the best you can do is at least ask the you know right questions at the right time to try and get yourself set up for when the content uh, does get underway. Uh, you also talk about proto content first approach. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, so I I, um, I love the idea of proto content. It was um, it's a concept that was introduced to me from another content strategist called Liam King. Uh, who actually also presents our masterclasses and um, he's written some of the guides, the gather content guides as well. And it's basically a firm no to use in any placeholder content such as lorem ipsum. And that's basically because lorem ipsum is completely uh, pointless and not in any way helpful for anybody involved in the project because it has no context, absolutely no context whatsoever. It doesn't, you know, if you're using lorem ipsum, it doesn't reveal anything about the relationship between the design and the content, for example. Um, but, you know, again, mindful that it's, you know, um, too idealistic perhaps to get all approved content before you start the design. Uh, proto content is in, I suppose it's a compromise in some ways um, because it does give you something more contextual to work with in terms of content. So there's a few different uh, examples of what proto content is or could be, and it's um, using the con, uh, sorry, using the content on your current site. Most people have a website already these days, so there's content on that site. And even if you like, you've identified that the content isn't right for what you need, it's still better than lorem ipsum, which has no bearing on your business or your users. Um, another thing you could use is competitor content. Although there are some caveats to that and, and some of the other proto-content examples, which I'll mention now in that you obviously don't want to publish um, your competitor right. content. <laughs> but in terms of um, just having something that's got a bit more relevance and context, then that's another option. You could write your own throwaway content. You could use draft content. Um, so, you know, it may not have been approved and you're, you're mindful that it will need to, um, or it may well need to be refined. You know, draft content is still better than lorem ipsum. Or you could commission sample content. Uh, you know, there is an additional cost attached to that option. But again, it would be content that would um, uh, just have more relevance you know, to the business mm -hmm. and to the users. So it's just about having that, um, trying to get as much context um, from your content as possible, um, mindful that you know, 
you, you may not be able to get approved content exactly when you need it. Yeah, I suppose you could even sort of, you could almost create a description of what you expect the content to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, anything is better than um, Laura Mipsum. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> I feel quite strongly about that. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, how do you prior- prioritize what content should be de- should be produced first? At Murmur, we designed two web pages in three different styles for our first round of design. Um, so we kind of prioritize like the, the content as it's going to go into the design. Is that a worthy approach? I think that is worthy. I mean, I think it's um, there's no one size fits all for a lot of things related to content. So you need to find um, a way of doing things that suits your process and your team and your resources. And I think prioritizing content is tricky when there's um, you know, a good amount of people involved because many stakeholders have their own personal agendas. Everyone wants to, you know, be on that homepage, for example. And so it can be, um, there can be some awkward chats when it comes to prioritizing content. So I guess you really need to prioritize what's needed for launch. And then, of course, you can publish more in um, follow-up phases and, you know, in, in additional iterations and so on. Right. Um, but in terms of, like, the practical side of prioritizing, um, I think a workshop can can work quite well really mm-hmm. um so rather than just sort of saying no to people who may say they want this published on the homepage or or wherever it's actually talking talking about the content and the purpose of it the audience what business goal it may link to and i think by having those conversations you can really start to glean how relevant and purposeful and useful um the words i mentioned before how 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 the content links to those because just because somebody wants something published it doesn't mean it's going to support a communication goal for example um right and also you have to consider the amount of effort involved in producing it so sometimes you know you may go with quick wins as opposed to more in-depth um content production um needs and i really you know it, that those kind of conversations can be tricky to have i think via email or as a as a means so i think getting getting everybody in the room can can be a good way of discussing the content and um yeah, just prioritizing based on the outcomes of those discussions, I guess. And I also think any time a new piece of content is suggested, then that should also be scrutinized in the same way, you know. And like I mentioned, iterations and additional phases, you know, you can still record all of these ideas and then create a backlog and, and you know, roll them out as and when um, you can, really. Yeah. And that kind of brings me to my next question was sort of about like managing, you know, managing how much or how many phases or revisions content is going to go through in sort of managing the budget for a project, the budget for the content, um, without sort of it getting out of control. <laughs> As in like the, s- the scope creep. Right. Yeah, it's um, oh, it's tricky. There's always something that you, you know, you can be the best project manager in the world and there's always something that will, you know, do its best to, to thwart you, I suppose. But I think this is where... You know, any kind of scope creep or any kind of um, anxiety around the content becoming out of control, whether that's because of the amount of feedback loops that there may be, etc. Um, this is where all the upfront work pays off. You know, I suppose what I'm basically saying is this is where content strategy really um, holds its own. Um, you know, there, it's there's never going to be a perfect project, I don't think. There will always be issues to tackle and obstacles to overcome. But I think the more upfront work you do in terms of planning the content, um, defining a workflow, um, you know, getting, getting your team on board, um, then I think that's the best that you can do to really kind of try and... 
avoid any of that that creep and also i guess it, you know this does also link to the prioritization where you need to ask questions about the content it's, you know if someone's asking for something outside of what has been agreed, outside of the scope, for example, so it might be an additional page or an additional section of a website, wherever that request may be, you just really need to start asking the same questions. Like, does it fit with the objectives? You know, or, or is it a vanity request, for example? Um, so again, evaluate the purpose of the content. And I think you know that's the most that you can do, really, is kind of asking those questions. And don't be afraid to say no. You know, yes, it can be difficult and it might be awkward, but um, you know, if you've got valid reasons for um, saying no to something, then you know you have to say no, really. Um, and I think that's as you know as much as you can as you can do, really. You know, in terms of scope creep, it's funny. Um, my wife and I are building an addition to um, our house so that her her father can move in with us. And the contractor that we're working with, you know, he keeps on running up against these things. It's not even always like requests. It's just like, oh, this is going to cost an extra thousand dollars, you know, and he sends us these change orders all the time. And I'm telling my coworkers, like, we should be doing this on projects. You know, anytime we encounter something that costs extra and takes more time, um, we need to, you know, tell the client, hey, this is something extra. And for whatever reason, you know, in the creative space, it's, it's a little more difficult. And it's a lot of times it's hours. It's not like, you know, you need a souped up electrical box or something very concrete. It's like, but yeah, in a lot of other areas of business, you know, managing that scope creep is just part of the part of the process. It's just, uh, it's hard for us creatives to, to monitor that and make sure that we uh, are keeping things in scope. Yeah, well, well the thing, it's, it's nice to say yes, though, right? It's nice to say yes and to give people what they want. And, you know, and so, um, you know, I'm certainly not saying that whatever the request is, you should say no. But I think on the occasions where you do say yes and accommodate additional um, requests and requirements, then, you know, it's okay to say, yes, we can do that. But however, we won't be able to do that. Or, you know, that will, you know, you know result in us launching a week later. Or, you know, there, there has to be some sort of compromise as well. And I think this is, you know, we were saying, should all projects have a content strategist? And I think it's at times like these where having that content focused person um, can really help. And also, you know, if you've got a, a scope document or, you know, whatever um, documentation you've got from the start of the project, having that to refer back to as well to say, well, that's not what we agreed, you know, but again, we can do it. However, we may need to drop that or, you know, delay that. So. It's, right. um, you know, you have to be realistic. What about sort of getting content from, you know, getting the raw content from the client early in the process? Um, I know there's a lot of different ways of doing that. Like in your experience, is is there one way that's more common? I mean, what we do using Gather Content is we basically set up, you know, all the pages of our website in Gather Content, and then we invite in our client and say, okay, you know, start populating this. But I know that we've also had some clients that, you know, they don't, they're not that organized. We need to wrangle them. We need to pull them into the office. We need to interview them and get content. How, how did it, in your experience at your agency, how did that usually go down? Um, it was one of the hardest parts of the projects in most cases, because, um, a lot of the clients I've worked with in the past, they didn't have um, a copywriter on the team or a content strategist or somebody who was responsible for the content. So um, a lot of the people managing the website projects were project managers or, or marketing people. Um, and a lot of them, a lot of them could write content, you know, they were good writers, but they, they often needed, 
information from subject matter experts before they could write the content. And I think the minute you start adding in multiple people into the you know into the workflow, it, it just becomes more challenging much more quickly, you know, because the subject matter experts have another job to do, and you know everybody's busy these days, and you know time is precious, etc. So aside from, of course, using gather content to manage this process, um, and I'm glad that you mentioned that, um, there are, I think there are, there are other things that you can do. And it's just about trying to make it as easy as possible for people. You know, if you just say to somebody 200 words on topic X, um, they may be able to give you 200 words on topic X, but the, the easier you can make it for people, the better. So it might be things like um, actually writing a brief, you know, what content you need, why, who's it for, where's it going, how will it be used, um, you know, so giving them all that information so that they can start to understand why this content needs to exist in the first place. Um, it could be that you uh, go and interview the person, you know, just to get the kind of main points that you need. Um, and that leads me on to another technique, which is pair writing. So you may go and sit with the person and you will literally write together. You know, they're the expert. Um, you're the content producer or copywriter or writer, wherever your role may be. And together you can create the content. Um, but then there's also other things you can do as well. I think like, um, you know, I'm certainly using other content as well. It's like structuring the content so that instead of just giving somebody um, a blank page and saying write content, um, if you can kind of define the structure of the content up front, uh, then I think that helps as well, you know, so they they can understand that they need a heading and they need a subhead and then they may need a call out box and a call to action and then the body copy. Um, and I think that makes it easier, you know, break it down into manageable chunks as well. Um, mm -hmm. And that also can help with the later phase, which is getting that content into the, the CMS because it's structured to already kind of map nicely to the CMS uh, in some cases if you do it that way. And also providing guidelines around... Um, uh, how the content needs to be written. So instead of just saying, you know, write content on this and then you get it back and it's not what you need for various reasons, then you get frustrated and then, you know, the feedback loop is just perpetual. Actually let them know, right, we need it. You know, for example, um, it needs to be written in this tense, you know, um, or it needs to be uh, things like character limits, word limits, um, the tense that needs to be in the voice and tone, any guidance you can give people around how the content needs to be written and how it needs to sound, um, you know, it's going to try and, well, hopefully we'll make that process of getting content from them easier. What would you say to, um, you know, a client who thinks they can handle their own, their own content, you know, they're just like, oh, don't worry about, you know, because some of our, our clients do say this, they're like, you know, oh, we have a great writer, um, we can handle content. Um, well, first of all, I think that there's probably some that can, um, mm -hmm. but you need to find out if that's the case really and you know I mean clients know their businesses inside and out you know they are the experts and sometimes they can write or sometimes they you know they've got the resource to bring someone in who can write the content um, although you know bear in mind that writing the content is only part of the whole process in terms of managing and handling content you need to figure out what you need um, you know who's going to publish it who's going to maintain it so it's not just the sort of physical act of producing the content I suppose um, I guess you just need to talk to them to get the reassurance that they can handle it themselves make sure that they're realistic about the resource. I think content is hard and it's often underestimated mm -hmm. just how much time it's going to take. Um, so it may be like, well, you know, we only need, you know, if it's a small website, well, it's only eight pages, you know, it's only eight pages. So it's, 
we could handle it, it's fine. And like I say, maybe they can. But you know, we, we do this task in our masterclass, our content strategy masterclass, where Liam, who I mentioned previously when we were checking our proto-content, he, um, he gives the attendees a task and says, right, imagine you're writing content and it's, um, it's a straightforward 750-word web page. You know, we're not going to think about any other content types. You know, we're not going to consider images and anything like that. It's just 750 words. And then um, he shows a typical content production mm-hmm. process Typical being the keyword, um, so it's you know writing the brief, um, writing the content, reviewing it, getting it approved, you know, etc. Uh, I think there's ten different stages altogether, and he asked attendees to um, note down how much time it would take to get that that page through each of those stages. Across all of the masterclasses we've done, the average is about twelve hours mm. um, for one seven hundred and fifty word page. And you know, you may that may sound like well, that's ridiculous, but it does take time. You know, and often, like I say, that time is underestimated. And if you think that's twelve hours for one, uh, I know we're basing this just on our sort of masterclass sample, but if you think that's twelve hours for one seven hundred and fifty word page, the minute you start scaling that up, the hours become unbelievable um and so i th- just think you need to have some real com- you know some honest conversations with clients and you know just to determine if they can and make sure that their understanding of the requirements is accurate um and managing their expectations about the effort that it's going to take um to actually get the content done yeah we found even when we have you know writers to work with we um on the client side there's still a great deal of management that happens on our side and you know, because we come up with a strategy for the website and how it's going to work and what the priorities are and everything. And a lot of times they'll write copy that doesn't fit with our vision. And then we'll have to go back and tell them to rewrite it or give them suggestions or even, you know, potentially sort of reevaluate the strategy of the website. <laughs> There's always work to do in that area, no matter how, no matter how experienced the person is on the, on the client side. There's a, a lot of work needs to be done. Definitely. Yeah. Um, what about client education? You know, how much does a client need to know about the, the content process? Um, and what are the important things that a client needs to know going into a project about content? I suppose with most things, you know, the, the more they know, the better. Um, I think at the very least, they should know how hard it is, you know, pretty much based on everything we've just said. And I think it's, you know, based on my own experience, it would be important for them to know that it will always take longer than you think. It will often be frustrating. So I think, you know, the more you can do to kind of educate them and prepare them really and manage their expectations, you know, they've hired you for a reason, whether that's you as a a content strategist or you as an agency and, you know, an entire team. They've hired you for a reason. So hopefully they would listen to you when you're trying to advise them and educate them and help them. But it's just as important for you to listen to them. You know, so be honest, educate them about the process, make it clear what process you're going to be adopting. So it's not just, um, but as well as that, as well as right, you know, for this project, we are going to do, do things this way. You know, we will use gather content apps or we will, you know, whatever you're going to do. Um, so educate them around the process you'll be adopting and who's involved and what, you know, what that, uh, each stage is, but also if possible, the wider education around content strategies of practice, I think, um, and the benefits um and how it should hopefully make their life easier don't skip to the visuals and let's talk about your audience and your business goals um and if you've got any examples to kind of uh, hammer home those points then you know even better again so 
with a lot of the stuff we've been discussing, there's so web projects are so different, each project so different, each team can be so different, each process can be so different. Um, and so I guess in the same sense, each client right. will be different in terms of the knowledge that they already have. You know, and you, you can't force people to have that willing to learn, I suppose. But I think when you start relating it back to, um, when you start relating it back to, you know, business goals and things, and hopefully that's when, um, if they're not already kind of um, engaged, then that's when they would be. In your article, uh, how to understand your audience in order to make better informed content decisions, you talk about the importance of audience research. Um, what are some effective methods of gathering audience information? So audience research, I worked in audience research for the BBC for a year. That was for TV, radio and online um, content production teams. And ever since then, I've just been, I just feel very strongly about the importance of audience research. And although that might seem like it's an obvious thing to care about, I've had too many experiences where teams and organisations can be too focused just on themselves um, you know, and yes, they've got business goals, but you know, um, it's the uh, you know they've got an audience that they're trying to communicate with as well, and an audience that has tasks to achieve, for example. Um, so I'm I'm a big believer in um, trying to gather as much audience information as you can, um, and I think a lot of methods can be scaled based on your resource. And some of those methods are well, I think we're lucky in that there's a lot of tools out there at mm-hmm. the moment offering data. You know, there's, you can just get data in abundance, you know, from, well, just thinking of the stuff we use at Gather Content, we use Drip, Intercom, Kissmetrics, um, Google Analytics, I'm sure there's many more as well. And then also the, you know, the data that comes from specific social platforms, for example, we use GoToWebinar for our, our webinars, so that, that, you know, yields a mm-hmm. load of data for us as well. So there's lots of things out there that you can get data from right now. Um, and then there's other methods such as focus groups, interviews, user research, social media to some degree. Um, and my favorite method of all is talking, actually talking to your audience. And, uh, and that can never be underestimated. And again, in my experience, it's probably the method that you know um, some teams have never, ever um committed to and it's amazing what you can get just from actually talking to someone and asking them questions and not necessarily even in like a a formal focus group um situation or you know interviews and sessions that are facilitated i mean it 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 doesn't need to be so um formal and you know um you know you can talk to your audience in lots of different ways really um so I'm a big fan of that method, definitely. And I think it's uh, whatever you do um, to get that data, you know, you're going to put yourself in a good position because it's going to allow you to make informed decisions. I think the challenge, you know, like those tools I mentioned where, you, you know, you, great, you can get all this data and it just, you know, it's just you log in and it's thrown at you. But it's being able to derive the insights from that data in order to make those informed decisions. That can be the challenge. You know, the tools do the work for you in terms of gathering the data. It's on you to kind of um, analyze it and disseminate it effectively then, I suppose. Yeah, I know, especially on, you know, some of the smaller web projects we've done and our, our web projects have sort of grown over the years, but it's hard with limited budget. A lot of times you're sort of, ten, you know, we end up relying very heavily on what the, our client says about our their audience, you know, but there's obviously... You can't always, even though they're, 
very, very well informed about their audience. You can't always trust them completely. And it's those other resources like data and user interviews and, you know, even as sim- something as simple as just looking through their Google Analytics to look at demographics and stuff like that that can give you insights that they maybe are not able to, to provide for you. Yeah, I mean, they can certainly um, know a lot about their audience and, you know, but you're absolutely right with the point you made there that you know um that when i worked at the bbc i'd work with various teams um uh, that were producing content for a television show and they they were adamant um it was a rugby focused program and they were adamant that um this is going back 10 years now adamant that um no women would watch the show because mm-hmm. it was rugby and women <laughs> don't really like sport and they certainly didn't like a sport like rugby and they weren't being, you know, they certainly weren't intentionally being um, controversial or sexist or anything. They genuinely thought that, you know, that was the case because um, there was a time when the male audience was much higher than the female audience. But times changed and the audience changed. And it was actually a dead on 50 wow. 50 split between male and female to um, viewers to their program. So even if someone does say, yes, this, you know, this is definitely our audience. Yeah, it's it it can be good to take it with a pinch of salt, but you you know even if you even if you do audience research and it validates what you're being told or validates your assumptions, then I still think that's time and resource well spent because those assumptions then stop being assumptions and they become knowledge because you've got the data to support that, and I think that um, can only ever be a good thing. But really, the chances are that you probably will get some new insights, um, you know, from that research as well. Excellent. So I always like to ask my guests for three takeaways. Um, what advice would you give to agencies looking to build out their content strategy process? Ooh, good question. Number one, I think, is don't make it optional. Um, really embed content strategy into your process and be confident in that. And so when you're, you know, when you're talking to clients or potential clients, um, making it clear that this is the way we work. Because um, I think the minute you start offering it as a something extra or additional it's just well it's extra money that you know you you want us to spend mm-hmm. so we're, we're not going to you know we're not going to spend that money um so i really think it needs to be the way that you work um, it may be that within that content strategy things become optional or scalable but in terms of you know uh having it, any level of content strategy i think um yeah it's uh, don't make it optional. I, I'm glad to hear you say that because we just started doing that in our contracts. <laughs> oh, cool. There we go. Perfect. And I didn't know that before you asked me the question. <laughs> so that was good. Um, and I think the second thing can be scaling it as needed, you know, so I kind of alluded to that in the, in the first point there, but just scaling it. So, you know, again, it's not coming back to this. It's not one size fits all, you know, clients come in varying sizes and budgets and shapes. So scale it up and down as you need. So, you know, or maybe, you for some clients you can do a content inventory and audit and you know I don't so many sort of facets of content strategy, but you know not just putting every proposal we will do this 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 and this you know you can you know you may have to um, pick and choose and scale as needed, and then for the third thing I think if you if you're serious about content strategy then you do need a dedicated person I don't think it's um, the best approach to tack it onto somebody else's job. Um, I think it should be made someone's responsibility, whether that's having to bring in someone new as a content strategist or whether there's somebody within the team who's kind of already doing it and will then start doing it full time or, you know, in a more focused way. 
Um, but I've seen it before where people say we offer content strategy as a service. And what they've really meant is they've got someone there who can write some copy and they're very different things. So I think uh, if you're really serious about it, then you know you get someone in to lead that process. Excellent, excellent. Well, I you know I just love the content that you guys create at Gather Content, and I've been in some of your webinars. I really haven't found any other resource better online for learning about content strategy. So I would encourage everybody to, um, of course, try out Gather Content, but also check out the awesome content that you guys create. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for coming on the show. Pleasure. Thank you for asking me. It's been fun to chat all things content. You bet. You've been listening to the Creative Agency Podcast with your host, Chris Bolton. When he's not podcasting or being a dad, he's the Digital Strategy Director at Murmur Creative in Portland, Oregon. Be sure to visit us online at creativeagencypodcast.com.